Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, I am a psychotherapist by trade, by education, and so I will find myself in conversations every now and again with different groups of people about what I do for a living, and they will invariably begin sharing their thoughts and feelings about therapy. (laughs) Those conversations can get really interesting. So I thought that for that reason, and also because I will periodically mention therapy in various episodes, that it would be kind of neat to do an episode just on, is therapy for you? Now, I will tell you, obviously I'm biased, but (laughs) the short answer to that question is yes. Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. I believe that therapy is helpful for everyone, regardless of their background or their current situation or their personality. It truly is just a wonderful opportunity to go to a place that is confidential. So you can say whatever you need to say, and nobody else is going to know what you said. Now, clearly, you know, there are a few situations regarding the law where sometimes psychotherapy notes get hauled into court for this reason and that, but those are few. And as a profession, the field of psychology guards Uh, psychotherapy notes very heavily. And so the likelihood of something like that happening is very, very small. So it's just a wonderful opportunity to feel like you can say something and not have to be worrying about other people finding out what you said, because then it makes it about them. Sometimes you need something to be about you. And that's the confidential part. And also, it's non-judgmental. Therapists are not supposed to be judgmental. By trade and by training, we're supposed to be very open-minded. And the therapy session is to be about the patient. And so it's rare that you can find a place to go where anything that you say is kept confidential, that you're never going to be punished for what you say. The conversation is not going to be turned around to somebody else's point of view. And you're not going to be judged. You can be totally honest. You're not going to be judged for what you say. And another thing in therapy is the focus of it is geared toward helping you to become healthier, helping you to become stronger. So that be, you know, part of the focus, helping you kind of to navigate through some possibly boggy terrain, some areas in your life that could possibly have been quite confusing and traumatic and helping you come out with some clarity and some more strength and to be healthier to live your life. 
let's say you think that you're already strong, okay? And if you do, that's wonderful. You know what? You can be stronger. It's really nice to have a trained clinician to listen and to be a partner with you in your various life struggles. I mean, heck, really, it's just nice to have someone listen without being distracted by the television or turning the conversation to their own issues. And let's be honest, that happens a lot, right? I mean, how many out there in Phoenix and Flame listening community have a situation where you can talk to someone where they're not distracted by anything else, they're totally focused on you, and you don't get judged, and nobody else is going to find out anything that you say. Hmm? I mean, hopefully some people have some really good friends that they can talk to and whose opinion they trust and they respect, and that's wonderful. That's fantastic. But even for those that have those situations, I still recommend therapy because you're talking with someone who's trained. Because sometimes it's not necessarily what you say, but it's what you're not saying. And a trained clinician can see those things, things that you're, you may not even be aware of. Now, there's a lot of different attitudes, like I mentioned before, about going to therapy. And I started thinking about those as I was kind of putting this episode together in my head. And one of the things that came to mind was generational attitudes. Back in the 1950s and 60s and, you know, before that, too, I mean, people just didn't talk about stuff. And I was actually reading um, an article in a magazine earlier today where they were talking about their father and all the things that their father had gone through, but, but he never really talked about it because you just didn't. The families just didn't talk about, quote, the dirty laundry, end quote. And so the older generations didn't really look at therapy as something that would be a positive thing. They looked at it as a rather threatening way, actually, because they were trying to cope with it by just ignoring it and acting like it wasn't there. I have a kind of a funny story that I'll share about that. Years and years ago, I used to work at a rehab facility, a physical rehab, not uh, mental health or substance abuse rehab. And um, frequently the, um, the patient would be referred to me. And because it's physical rehab, our, the range of the ages would be on average from about... 55 to 90 would be about on average because you're dealing with people who have a lot of issues relating to uh, the breakdown of their bodies and um, effects of things like uh, diabetes and other disease processes. And they're having to to deal with that and um, recover from that and rehabilitate. And so naturally, when people are going through things like that, they are they're anxious and they're depressed. I mean, their life's changing and they might have a a questionable family dynamic situation. And so I was basically the psychology department. And there was one patient, I'll never forget, that (laughs) she came in and in my office, there was a table that was one of those, it reminded me of the old tables you might see in a 1950s diner, like a chrome table, really, really heavy. They had the chrome sides. 
and it was it, like I said, it was heavy. Well, all the patients pretty much were in wheelchairs, um, taking them from place to place. You would have some that were walking on their own, but they were few. And so I had wheeled her into my office. And when you stop someone in a wheelchair, you lock the wheelchair so it doesn't roll around, so they're safe. And when she began to understand why she was there, she said, I don't need to be here. I'm not crazy. And she planted her hands on that heavy chrome table and shoved it. She was trying to shove herself back away from the table, but I had locked her wheelchair. But in her strength and in her desire to get away from me, from away from therapy, away from psychology, she ended up shoving that table about a foot across the floor. (laughs) She meant business. She was not going to have it. And that was a lot of a generational thing. You know, I'm not crazy. I don't need to see a therapist. Fortunately, that's really not the attitude now. Uh, And I'll talk more about that in a minute. There's also gender differences. I've seen, and, and again, these things are changing, and I'm so, so thankful. But in general, you see more females that are open to coming to therapy than males. And again, you look back over time, males in, in general are supposed to be, supposed to be in quotes, you know, the, the strong one that doesn't have any problems and just kind of gets stuff done. And the females are the ones that are the chatty Cathy's and talking, talking, talking. So they feel much more comfortable going to a place where they feel like they're going to be talking a lot. And so you have the gender differences in terms of the attitudes toward therapy. There's also, uh, over time, there's been racial uh, differences regarding therapy. And I was reading an, an article the other day. It was a February 2015 study by uh, SAMHSA, or Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And the study was indicating that white people were more likely than black Asian, and Hispanic groups to use mental health services. And so I think when you think about it as well, you're looking at minority groups, black, Asian, and Hispanic groups are minority groups, at least to this point. And a lot of times, you know, those groups were not really, the uh, resources were not made available to them. And so I think over time, possibly they did not see therapy as even an option for them. So it wasn't really in their conversations. Another uh, area of uh, differences in attitudes sometimes is a socioeconomic status. Of course, people that have a lot of money, they get to do things and have options that other people don't. You know, for example, I, I don't consider it my personal option that I can go pick out a yacht or pick out which week I want to visit the uh, south of France. That's not an option for me. <laughs> So clearly for everybody, we're all on that socioeconomic status ladder somewhere. And uh, people that have more money have more options. That's just the way it is. Fortunately, community mental health and sliding scales make the financial uh, obstruction uh, to therapy uh, less for um, those that are lower on the socioeconomic ladder But they also have to deal sometimes with transportation being a difficulty, um, not being able to have vehicles or whatever to get to the therapy sessions. And sometimes 
uh, they have family members that just are not supportive, that are um, maybe dysfunctional in different ways and aren't really supportive of their pursuit of therapy. So, you know, there's different groups of people and different attitudes about going to therapy. But really, and I'm very thankful that overall, the attitude has changed over the decades from I'm not crazy, I don't need therapy, to how can I live my best life without a therapist? Like I was saying earlier, even if you don't have significant issues, a therapist really is, you know, somebody that comes alongside and just helps you be the best person you can be. And really, when you have somebody that knows your whole story, because a good therapist will take the time to really understand everything about you and when you have someone that does understand your background and your story, um, you may go, you know, once a month or less. But when something does crop up and you go in, that person knows all about you. You can just hit the ground running and they'll understand what's going on and how to help strengthen you through it. And also, there's more actors, I've noticed, and people that are um, the, in the mental health field. There's a push to be more open about mental health issues. And so you see more articles written about celebrities and actors because people seem to care about them more than your average house cat, but they're being more honest about how they go to therapy. I was reading an article just the other day about Pink, the singer, and how she was saying her and her husband go to therapy on a regular basis. And that's basically what's kept them married. Um, and I've read several of these different types of articles where people are just being very honest about, yeah, we go to therapy. And so I'm so thankful that people are being more honest and coming forth and saying, yeah, life sucks sometimes. It's like shit at times. And we go to a therapist and it helps us. And the sharing of it sort of decreases that, that burden, um, helps you feel like, you know what? there's nothing wrong with me. Everybody's like me. We all have problems. And so going to a therapist is is very helpful for that and sharing that mental health journey with you. Now, although there are more and more people that are actively pursuing therapy, there's still a contingent that thinks that only wussy, mamby-pamby people go to therapy, that the tough guys would never darken a therapist's door. I've heard this. Well, I wish the, quote, tough guys, end quote, the best, but I have a suspicion that they aren't as tough as they appear and that they're actually running from themselves because they're humans like everybody else on this planet. And we humans struggle from time to time. Sometimes we struggle with external issues. Sometimes we struggle from internal issues. There's actually an African proverb that I ran across that I really, really liked. And it goes like this. You can outdistance that which is running after you, but you cannot outdistance that which is running inside you. I'm going to say that one more time. You can outdistance that which is running after you, but you cannot outdistance that which is running inside you. So, 
who is braver? The one willing to stop and face their own inner demons? Or the one who just keeps running? And by the way, the runners, or I call the avoiders, usually end up abusing in some form or fashion alcohol, pills, sex, work, etc. Anything to drown out their own thoughts. They do not want to sit still and be in the silence with their own thoughts and feelings because they can't stand it. That doesn't sound tough to me. That sounds like someone that is running, avoiding, and they need therapy. Everybody can benefit from therapy. I've been in therapy myself. There's been things in my life that I, I got overwhelmed with. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do with it all. And it, it, was, it was a chronic issue. It was not going away quickly. And quite frankly, I think my friends and family kind of got tired of hearing about it after a while. And you could tell. You know, when you have something in your life that isn't some easy-peasy answer and you're reaching out to your friends and family and they're, they love you and they're trying to listen, but when, when, you're, when your issue just keeps happening over and over and over and over again, they get tired, they get worn out because they're not your therapist. And so when I sought out a therapist to help me, it was one of the best, best things I ever did. Um, and I still check in with her occasionally, just kind of like a maintenance visit, sort of like how you do your oil change on your car every three to 5,000 miles, just to keep, just, you know, just to keep it between the lines there. It's very, very helpful. There is a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And there's a, a quote in that book, and I just love that book, by the way. It's a, it's a book about trauma and about how it's held in your body, and your body keeps the score of the trauma. And sometimes even things that you're not allowing yourself to acknowledge consciously, it's still in there. Um, it's just a fabulous book. It's kind of, I mean, I'm a clinician, and I enjoy reading it, but I know what he's talking about. I think it would be kind of a hard book for someone that's a, a lay person to understand all of it, but it's still a fabulous book. Well, on page 235, just in case anybody out there wants to get it and read it, and I'll put this in the show notes, the first paragraph says this, as long as you keep secrets and suppress information, you are fundamentally at war with yourself. Hiding your core feelings takes an enormous amount of energy. It saps your motivation to pursue worthwhile goals, and it leaves you feeling bored and shut down. Meanwhile, stress hormones keep flooding your body, leading to headaches, muscle aches, problems with your bowels or sexual functions, and irrational behaviors that may embarrass you and hurt the people around you. Only after you identify the source of these responses can you start using your feelings as signals of problems that require your urgent attention. I have given my patients um, an example of 
balls that they're trying to push under the water, like of a pool, as an example of what Dr. Vander Kolk is referring to there. If you can imagine being in a pool and you have, you know, those inflatable balls that people will typically play water volleyball with. And let's say there's a game of water volleyball going on in the pool and you'd like to play. Okay. Well, but you're trying to hold a ball under the water. Now these balls will will represent different feelings and thoughts and emotions and, and historical traumas from you that you do not want to acknowledge. So you're keeping them below the surface, below the surface of the water. Well, if you have one of those and you're trying to hold it under the water while you're playing water volleyball, you can certainly do it, but your ability to play the game is going to be impaired. You only have, you can try to put it between your legs and use both arms. That's fine, but you won't be able to move around very much. Or you can maybe put it under one palm so you can walk around more, but then you only have one arm available. So you're going to be impaired. Well, that's just holding one ball under the water. Let's say if you have two or three or four, and you have got to keep all of those under the water because you don't want to face them. You don't want to feel them. You don't want to acknowledge them. And so look at all the energy that's being required to hold those balls under the water. How much energy are you going to have left to play anything, to do anything, to even walk around? You will be virtually incapacitated with almost all of your energy going toward keeping all of these balls under the water. That's what it's like when you're avoiding issues. You can feel them inside. You can. But a lot of people are like, nope, nope, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to face this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to process it. I don't want to acknowledge it at all. Okay, that's a choice you have. But I'm telling you right now, the energy level that you have and your ability to participate in the rest of your life is going to be significantly impaired because holding all of that below the surface requires energy. And the more you're holding under the surface, the more energy you're going to be drained of. So I'm just going to leave this particular episode with a quote. Um, For those out there who actually saw The Lion King, which is probably a lot of you, especially those of you who had kids that were young when Lion King came out, I think I probably could quote that entire movie. There was a character in The Lion King. It was a monkey, and his name was Rafiki. And he was kind of fussing at Simba, the prince, because Simba's dad, Mufasa, had been killed by the nefarious uncle, Scar. Anyway, Rafiki was trying to get Simba to come back and take his rightful place as the, the king over the the uh, tribe or whatever you want to call it there of the the lions and Simba was uh, resisting he didn't want to go because of the tragedy because his dad had been murdered by his uncle and Simba just got 
the hell out of there, to be honest. He ran away, and he was hiding. Um, He probably needed a time to hide, but he hid a long time until he was full-grown. And I guess it was not the tribe, but the pride, the lion pride. They needed him to come back. And so Rafiki came after him, and Simba was giving him a hard time. And so um, Rafiki ended up hitting Simba over the head repeatedly. He had this stick with looked like a couple of coconuts on the end of it. And he kept hitting Simba over the top of the head. And then finally Simba grabbed a stick and broke the stick. And uh, Rafiki said, Ah, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. And then Rafiki laughed, his, his funny laugh that he did, and Simba did go back to his pride. But I thought Rafiki had a wonderful little sentiment there. Ah, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.